0: Welcome to Recovery Corner, where the many pathways of recovery intersect. We believe that recovery should be defined by each individual on their own unique journey. We also welcome allies of recovery to the conversation, as we know that substance use disorder impacts our entire communities, not only the people experiencing addiction. This is a space where you will hear personal stories of triumph in recovery, gain insights into various recovery-oriented systems, and learn how leaders across the country are building recovery-ready communities. Recovery Corner is brought to you by Young People in Recovery, otherwise known as YPR. YPR is a recovery support service organization that engages people in and seeking recovery, as well as allies of the recovery movement to take a stand for recovery. Welcome back, everybody, to Recovery Corner. We are your host, Candace
1: Rose. And I'm Jesse Hainer. I am super excited for this podcast today. Today we have Julie on the show. Today she's going to uh, talk about her experience of long-term recovery. Um, I'm really excited to hear this today. Julie, welcome to the cast. Thanks so much for being here.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so I guess, you know what, we'll just jump right into it as always. Julie, go ahead and uh, tell us about yourself and uh, kind of who you are what you do today.
2: My name is Julie. I, uh, I'm coming up on 19 years in recovery.
1: Congrats.
2: Yeah, hopefully. I'm six weeks from that. Um, I am a tattooist for a living, and I'm pretty passionate about dogs. I what kind of dogs?
1: Any, do- any dogs in particular?
2: I like all rescue dogs.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: I share that with you. Uh, I heard Kiva shaken. Uh, I actually got Kiva from a rescue uh, from uh, four corners, pure breed rescue. Uh, They do this thing where, you know, there's dog breeders out there. um, And when they get pregnant by non-registered dogs, they just want to dump them. So this awesome woman takes them in. And then I get super lucky with a, with a dog like Kiva. She's amazing. Half Rottweiler, half a bunch of other magical things, but love it. <laughs> well cool. Uh, a,
1: what do you like? I'm a I, I have a Chihuahua and he's his name is actually Coors, like the Coors Banquet. And uh, he's a he's a Brindle oh,
2: Chihuahua he's a
1: Terrier. Brindle Chihuahua Terrier and he's uh he's always on my heels. I'm always walking over him, but he's a sweet guy. But yeah, you know I'm a pretty big guy. So it's funny when I go for a walk. You would expect me to have like, you know, stigmatized pit bull or while or No, i have a i have a terrier chihuahua and i love him to death so but that's <laughs> awesome yeah thanks julian so um candace did you want to go ahead and take us off or anything you want to ask Julie as we start the start her story
0: i mean i, I definitely just want to yeah like tip my hat 19 years in recovery i think yeah. that's amazing i yeah i've got a fraction of that <laughs> um So just kudos to you. You said it's about six weeks away. So happy early recovery birthday on that. Um, and you know, uh, I'm curious, how did you arrive? You know, it was a while back, but how did you arrive at the decision to enter into recovery? I
2: come from a family of people that either should be in recovery or are. And, um, My mom entered recovery before I did, which is a, like a really critical and pivotal point of my story because what happened was, is I absolutely hated her. And then I came home one night and I'd ripped the side mirror of her car off drinking and driving. And um, I caught her digging a bottle of vodka out that she had hidden in the kitchen. And when people asked what my mom's drinking was like, it was like um, the movie, When a Man Loves a Woman with Meg Ryan, which is- yes dating myself heavily but that's kind of what my my childhood felt like good movie yeah great movie super depressing makes me cry every time but um (laughs) and so she caught me coming home way past my curfew with a crashed car and I caught her digging this hidden bottle of vodka out and I just I said some mean things to her but mostly I said that um that she was a bleeping alcoholic. And I said that because it just seemed like a mean thing that I could say to her because we had a, uh, I had a friend's mom who had just died of cirrhosis of the liver. And that was the only person I knew that maybe had that disease. Right. Um, And then my mom teed herself. This is back in the nineties before you could get into rehab. Really. There weren't very many (laughs) and uh, you had to wait for a bed, which is hard to comprehend in today's world. Right. Like there's one, I went for a 20 mile bike ride. And I think I rode past two of them you know, like out in the boonies here in Colorado, but, um, so she basically detoxed herself, which as we know is like a really dangerous thing to do when your primary thing is alcohol. And, um, and she went to rehab and she came home and she was just someone I had never had as a mom. And so it wasn't that she preached anything to me or even brought anything up about anything I had going on. It was just that she went and did something and then went to, um, meetings with people and she became a rad lady that I, uh, respected and I never had really, I mean, I, that's a little harsh. Like she was always a good mom. She just, um, towards the end was really kind of mean and unpredictable. And I just was an angry teenager that had a active anorexia and bulimia and probably active addiction stuff. And, um, it was really hurting. And, you know, it was also a, a child that had grown up in a home where um, everyone was using. So it was unpredictable and there's, you know, the trauma signs that come from that. And so what happened was is my mom chose to go to 12 step meetings and she asked me to go to one with her and I went to one with her for her year chip. That's how they do it in this part of the country. And I sat in that meeting and I cried through the entire thing. And, you know, my dad was like, oh, you know, you cried because you're happy for your mom. But I, <laughs> my level of self-centeredness was so strong that I wasn't really capable of feeling that way for my mom. You know, I was so sick. I couldn't even acknowledge that we had a, we had a pet dog that I never pet. Like, I just I was so shut down and numb that um, I didn't cry very easily. But I had a journal because I was 17 or a diary or whatever. And I wrote in it, I wish there was something like that for whatever is wrong with me i didn't know what my problem was it just seemed like i was and i was scared that i was so incredibly broken and um and i didn't think that would, you know it was hard to say at 17 years old that that's what my, what my problem was but i just i knew that that had done something for my mom that was pretty magical right and so then i went to college i went i had like a four not a 4.0 but i had really good grades in high school i went to college still held on to pretty good grades, started doing harder drugs and everything just started spiraling out of control. Um, I did amphetamines cause it had something to do with my eating disorder as well. Like for me, the two don't really separate. Like I, I, found that that could make me, um, better athlete in a weird way. And then also I didn't have to eat and, um, and it just got weird. And, um, and occasionally, I would do a drive by at a at a go to a meeting, and i I could not stop drinking or using long enough to not be under the influence when I went and I did that for about two years and uh, and it didn't matter how early in the morning. those are my four rescue dogs downstairs who don't not bark at stuff
1: I'm um, <laughs> <How> cute. <laughs>
2: it didn't you said something really
1: you said something really specific i wanted to just touch on you said you were using amphetamines for for school reasons uh and um for athletic reasons which is interesting i thought it was really great because you know most of the time it's more peer pressure or um you know kind of going from one thing to the next but your reason for amphetamine use you mentioned was uh you said weight issues and for sports issues is that correct
2: yeah. I mean, for me, all use wasn't necessarily to hang out with other people as much as I would just watch people. I remember watching people in the grocery store and being like, how do they do this? Right. Like, and I was a student athlete of the year in my high school. Like it wasn't, I was an extreme achiever, but I still never felt like I could comfortably do anything in society, like answer the phone. Right. Which Today's generation doesn't answer. That's all texting, and no one answers the phone anyway, right? <laughs> that's right. People they hire like can never want to talk on the phone. But um, I just didn't know how to do societal things, and so it seemed like when I did that combination of amphetamines and drinking and smoking cigarettes and um, and a certain amount of painkillers. I mean, this was the late '90s, right? That stuff was pretty readily available. Like I could just it made it so I felt normal. And I'll never forget the first time I ever did my. Um, I don't know if you talk about drugs specifically, but cocaine was my favorite thing in the world. And the first time I did it, I was at a rave in Vegas, which is just awful. And um, I don't even know if raves still happen anymore. I, uh, but way back then, um, we went from punk rockers to ravers in a heartbeat. And it was weird. But <laughs> <laughs> how, that, how we even accepted that, I don't know. But I was at a rave in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I did it and I just felt... Okay. I didn't feel great. I didn't feel elated. I didn't feel euphoric. I didn't feel
0: like this extreme high. It was like coming to baseline for you.
2: I felt like I could go to the grocery store and interact
0: with other human beings.
2: And I remember in that moment thinking, I have to do as much of this as possible until I can't do it anymore because this is going to make it. Because I, I I can't. I will sacrifice whatever I have to to feel this normal. Because nothing just never felt okay doing anything. And, uh, and so I did that and it got real bad and weird because I started ending up in the emergency room pretty quickly and, uh, in psychosis. And, um, I would walk around with a disc man, <laughs>
1: and, uh, for, for all of our, uh, younger crowd out there, a <laughs> disc man. Uh, <laughs> if you go to your vintage museums, uh, your local neighborhood, You'll find Walkman, Discman's, A-Tracks, even CD MP3 players. So just a shout out to all you millennials. Uh, anyway, just want to sidebar that. I
2: had a disc that I had burned from stolen Napster music, because this is the time for oh, Napster. Oh, man. Really
1: uh, so Napster, Okay. i was
2: record had just come out, and it was the only thing that could kind of keep me like functional. And I would just walk around in the snow with that disc men on, like trying to hold it together, completely like losing it and seeing stuff that wasn't there, losing, blacking out. Um, And so I would do these drive-bys and meetings, but I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And then, uh, which is a certain kind of purgatory, right? Of like wanting to, to stop. I was, I was stuck in two things. I was 19. And so I thought my life would be over if I quit, if I entered recovery, right? That that would just be it. Like, what am I going to do? I was really hoping to stay out until I was 30 because that just seemed normal. Like, I I didn't know anyone my age that didn't. um, Especially I went to to the University of Colorado. So it was pretty wild back then. It was like Playboy's number one party school or whatever. And uh, so I just, I couldn't imagine a life without what I was doing. And, um, and then I spent, I dropped out of college cause I couldn't hold it together and I couldn't, I was spending all my money on other stuff. And I moved in with a boyfriend who sold stuff and, uh, and he kept kicking me out of the house I maybe let the couch on fire one time. Um, maybe not too. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, that's my memory of it is I know our couch burned down and I know I was the only one that smoked cigarettes. So it seems like that maybe was me, but you know, i entered this phase where I would have one drink and I would either do absolutely nothing to me and I would drink like 20 and it felt like nothing, or I would have half of a one and I like hours of my day, I was in a blackout. Like it was just so incredibly unpredictable and, um, and weird. And, um, and I don't know how to explain it. Like every single day I would wake up and write on my hand, don't drink today. And I did anyway, like 15 minutes later. With that <laughs> written on your hand. Yeah, man. There was just no, like every day I was scared. This was going to be the day and it never was the day. Mm-hmm. And I would call, I would look up um, meetings in the phone book and I would call the hotline or whatever. And and I would hang up on them all the time. And then one day I made that phone call from the phone book. <laughs> Like, we're doing a podcast, but I've been around so long that it was like... And we got phone books. We got phone books uh, yeah. Napster, been. Been.
1: <laughs> so, for you guys listening out there, a phone book, no.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. They, they still exist. I think most of us, like especially here in Colorado, we just use them for like, fire starter.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah like Kindle. Where I live now, but
2: um, yeah, so a call and someone answered, and I I actually waited until someone answered and then I went to a meeting that night and I had an eight ball of stuff in my pocket and the speaker took a cake for 10 years. And I remember something changed in me where I was like, oh, if I actually entered recovery today, I could have 10 years when I'm 30 instead of trying to stay out there till I'm 30. And maybe that would be different. Cause I think when you're young in recovery, it is a hard sell. Like, Oh, you're going to do everything without this. Like how, I mean, you know, the famous one is what am I going to do at my wedding? Or what am I going to do at a wedding? I still hate going to weddings. Kind of, I just don't really know how to do it. It's weird, but right. <laughs> you know, like, but no one was inviting me to weddings at that point or anything really. Like I was kind of a hazard to all my <laughs> friends who aren't really that stand up of humans either. Right. But I um, that I, feel I just, that. <laughs> Yeah, like I just couldn't comprehend it being differently, and then I saw that woman, and I thought maybe I would have something to show if I if I did this thing. Then so I I flushed my stuff again, which was a popular thing to do—that solemn deal—and um, that was it.
0: Wow! And you were ni- nineteen at the time, when uh, twenty by
2: then. But
0: me, yeah.
2: So wow. I spent that whole last summer every day. It was really brutal. And, you know, I had all the, when I tell, like, you want, I don't like to focus on it much, but like when I drank, I would drink in the shower because I would throw up a whole lot and it was just easier to do. And that's how I just start my mornings every day. Like I had all the symptoms of chronic um, alcoholism that you would get through like a DCSM or whatever. But the biggest fear for me was, I remember I went to this bar and this guy that was a drug dealer was there and he was like a. Cause I had four fake IDs. So I was drinking heavily at the bar starting at like 15 years old. Cause also back then there was no, you didn't scan an ID. It was like a, basically a laminated business card, you know, it was barely a <laughs> thing that was even trackable. So it was really easy to do. But this guy who was a total, I don't know, man, he turns to me and he goes, Hey dude, check this out. I think you should go to check out some meetings or something. Because um, if you don't, you're going to end up like all these people in here that are pretending to sell real estate and they're just selling enough cocaine to pay off their bar tab. Like your future might not be detrimental and it might not be prison right. and it might not be death. It might just be mediocrity. And I think about that a lot. Cause I think that like, sometimes I, I know people in recovery that want to tell this crazy story and like the crazier, the better, the more cred you have. And right. the truth is like, you can stop at any time because how mediocre do you want your life to be? Like, do you want to just, like, how hungover? Mm. How, how many years of not really being able to answer the phone, being kind of afraid to go to the grocery store because of who you might run into? I mean, I'll never forget being visibly strung out and running into people who wanted to know what had happened to me. How did mm-hmm. you become the student athlete of the year, all state, in like four sports or whatever, and now you're, you're visibly strung out at Whole Foods? Cause I'm doing drugs at Whole Foods. Yeah. <laughs> just some weird uh, thing to do anyway, where you're buying like organic produce, but doing whatever. <laughs> you know, Whole Foods, right. But I mean, like, to that, myself yeah. that I'm holding it together somehow, but um, you know, like I wanted to be able to answer the phone. Like, I don't think I thought my life would be as, as rad as it is. I just wanted to feel okay. So I was willing to take that chance because I knew my, the, you know, I knew what the, it didn't look, the rest of it didn't look that fun.
1: So, I love what you said about, um, you know, I caught what you said you in the beginning. You said, uh, you know, I take, you're taking substances and it wasn't even to feel a euphoric state of mind. Right. A lot of us, a lot of us, the first uh, narcotic, we take up our, of our beak, you know, or, or our first party or, opioid we, we want the euphoric state of mind that comes with that right and i know both you can attest but you said something very very key i i feel like you said i now feel normal and you weren't really taking these to be in that state of mind but you said that was the first time if i could just do this uh i could have some torpor. i could feel some type of normalcy in my life i think that's very important
2: I always felt different then. I mean, I think people, maybe a lot of human beings do who, who suffer from this or not, you know, and I think um, it's not necessarily unique to, to me, but I will do everything in my power to chase a thing that is killing me in hopes of feeling okay. Right. Uh, and incredibly self-destructive, which ironically now I, I am the supplement guy and the health freak and like, I can't even comprehend smoking cigarettes, let alone doing drugs at Whole Foods, so, (laughs) you know, like, I value what I have now, and don't, but I'm also older, and my joints hurt, so I don't feel as invincible as I probably did in 19, (laughs) right?
0: Wow, yeah, that's, that's hard for me to fathom, I mean, uh, 20, for so many people, and it speaks a lot to our culture, too, I don't, you know, I, there is this whole theme of just being outrageous out of control and that's so cool. Like that's what kids feel is cooler kids, you know, young adults. Um, So yeah, trying to kind of come in, you know, you weren't even 20, 21 yet. You weren't even old enough to legally (laughs) drink Um, which for most of us, that usually doesn't make a difference anyways, but (laughs) uh, you, you hadn't even had an experience at a bar as a legal drinker and you were challenging yourself with this question of like what is life going to look like without alcohol drugs or other substances um so kudos to you for that and how so you went you started going to these meetings um and when like what did that process look like so you said you you went to the speaker meeting and then yeah like I said
2: to a woman that I vaguely knew and I uh I went to another one the next day with her, and then I did. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. I asked her to sponsor me. Um, She made me set up chairs at a bunch of meetings. Like I, I, she just Jedi mind tricked me into like everything was my responsibility, which it wasn't. But she just had me show up all the time. And I think like for anything you're trying to do, like I'm really into the gym and stuff. And I think um, there's days where I'm tired or don't feel like it. But it's amazing what happens if you just like show up. Like so much, I think, of, of my recovery is based not on my thoughts because my thoughts are not accurate. <laughs> you know, my feelings are sometimes <laughs> not very well. Like I just, I make up some stories based on very little evidence. And um, it's more important that I just, like, show up anyway. Mm-hmm. Of how I feel about it. And so she just sort of made me do that. And I had to clean ashtrays and coffee cups because this was back when you could smoke in half a meeting. Yes. <laughs> which is hard to even comprehend <laughs> um, it didn't work like the smoke travels, but it was just like an amazing concept. And, um, you know, it was hard cause I did this in a small town. So the young people's group was, was not very young. And, uh, and, uh, and very boring and not exciting. And I just stuck with it anyway, which I can't, I, it's hard to believe that I did, but, um, what happened next when I was about two years in recovery, I, uh, I still had an eating disorder because it's like, I believe it's important to find people who suffer from whatever the thing you're suffering from. And at least that's what I needed. I needed to find, like, I couldn't talk to people who had suffered from addiction, like substance addiction and talk to them about what it's like to throw up food into a trash can that you will yet again, eat more food out of that same trash can and then throw up into it again. Like that's, that horrifies people that have done some of the most horrific things in the world for drugs, right? Like people who have just had these horrible stories and you tell them that and they're like, they just can't comprehend that. Right. I need to find someone who said me too. Or you think that's good. I've driven around in my car with bags of vomit, just hitting every, you know, every fast food restaurant and throwing it in a bag that it came with and throwing that, you know, and then it's funny because I also really like whatever I'm, my secret is that I'm so afraid if anyone else knew finding someone who's like, Oh man, you even think that's a thing. Let me, let me tell you this thing I did and the freedom in that of like, Oh man, like I'm not a unique, mm. I'm not uniquely flawed or I'm not uniquely bad. Right. And, um, so my mom, who works in, in recovery treatment, she had met with some, some doctor that was talking about eating disorder treatment center, um, at something that she did. And I called her that day because really I had a boyfriend who was physically and emotionally abusive and, uh, cause that's the other thing that could happen in recovery. It's like, um, for me, there's a lot to unpack. And when you remove the thing that I was treating the thing with, Um, that's not the end for me. Like I have to continually do work to, uh, unpack the decisions that I make and, and to change. And so, um, I agreed to go to that treatment center because I needed to get away from that, that man. And if you would call him that, and, um, Mm. and I was, I thought I would be there for about 30 days and I was there for about eight months. Oh, wow. <laughs> when I had been in recovery for about three years. So I had been in recovery for longer than a lot of people that worked at the facility, <laughs> which was oh. weird and, humil- and humiliating, but also humbling. Like at the beginning, it felt humiliating. Like I should know better. And I think that's a lie that I. Suffer from in sobriety, like my or I'm sorry, recovery. My current thing is my spending. And I had a conversation that I had to tell some truths about yesterday about that.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm
2: embarrassed that I don't have it all figured out. I'm embarrassed that 19 years in, I'm doing some weird juggling between my credit cards. And um, when I told my family about it, they weren't, they did not disown me. They helped me figure out a solution. Right. Mm-hmm. So um And loved me anyway in spite of the fact that I was certain they wouldn't because that's again back to what my head tells me about situations right but um so yeah I was in it I entered eating disorder recovery and I was there for a very long time and so that's added to my list of things because I needed to find those people that could literally sit down with me and uh coach me through that so um And that's a difficult one, too, because it's very common among women and men. I think it's even more stigmatized with men. And I've worked with uh, men, and that's a a challenging one because it's like they have shared that they felt like it was a female disease they had. Um, Mm. And I think that it's so insidious that, like, you go to – you know, recovery functions often have a big pile of donuts at them or whatever, like, well, and people are smoking outside. Like, there's certain things that are still destructive that we will segue into that works for a while. And then for me, how free do you, did I want to be? And I didn't want to be the sick girl anymore because I had an identity attached to that of being a, a drug addict and someone would take care of me or of not being able to feed myself and someone would take care of me. I just didn't. It was an idea and an identity that I didn't want anymore. Um, so yeah, I did that. that sounds it's sounds really great that
1: you pointed out um, the stigma of this masculinity of men not being able to share uh, how or what they want. I think it's really important uh, when it comes to this disorders, any type. I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I you know, for years, I, you know, I don't mind showing uh, you know, anxiety, for instance, anxiety attacks. I, 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 been, you know, having them for years, but I would never say what they were because then if I say I have anxiety or panic attacks, then I'm weak or I'm not that dominant, whatever, you know? so I think it's very important. You pointed that out.
2: Well, in 17 years into recovery, my mental health was so terrifying that I had thought about 5115 myself. And this is in Los Angeles and, uh, and I had no, I was so scared. I was scared to wake up because I was afraid to feel these thoughts again. And then again, there's some part of my ego that is like embarrassed about that because there's people who look up to me and call me for help. And here I am afraid to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. I own a business. I employ a bunch of people and I'm afraid of my thoughts and I'm afraid I'm going to hurt myself, which I think is another thing that's really common. I can't tell you how many dead people I go through in my phone to get to mm-hmm. can. Because untreated and, and holding on to my secrets, they will take me out. And it might not be through my substances of choosing, it might just be out. And so I had to go see professional help for what turned out to be unbipolar. You know, and I didn't want to take medication because I don't trust big pharma. And I can tell you that as someone who's finally medicated for the first time in their adult life, like I don't, I have not considered hurting myself and my anxiety attacks are still there, but they're manageable. It's not so like delusional that it feels, it's just not, I can work through it and that's just me. That's not for everyone. I mean, none of this is for everyone. This is all just my experience, but, um, I think that's important because I was embarrassed and I didn't want to take a substance to feel better because that seemed like something that I shouldn't do. And, uh, I don't feel, I'm so grateful to be medicated (laughs) because bipolar is really, um, painful to live through and it's painful for the people that love you to watch.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. How did you, I mean, I've got, I've got friends, you know, there's co-occurring disorders and folks that struggle with substance use disorder and issues like bipolar or schizophrenia that's challenging for them because they're told, you know, don't take substances, but then to manage this other piece of your mental health, there there are these substances. um, And I see it so often. It's a battle within their own heads. So, you know, was there anything that came to you to like help you overcome that, that perception of finally just being like,
2: I mean, I think just like willing to do anything, I'd hit kind of a bottom with it where I couldn't manage it on my own. And it seemed like life or death, which, you know, for other stuff in my life has felt the same. Like my, my eating disorder, I didn't really probably look much physically different than I do now. My heart was so screwed up that when they did an EKG, I wasn't allowed to leave the premises for like six weeks because they didn't want my heart to explode. Right. Like, it had for whatever reason for me, and I'm trying to be better about it, but it has to get to like a, like all of my, I have to hit bottom, I guess with it. Right. And, um, and I was willing to try and, and my mom was just kind of begging me because she could see it. And it's the same with when other people call me about that issue and they're like, I'm just, I don't know. And it's like, Oh man, like, And I see it with clients sometimes where I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to tell them what to do, but it's like, you are unnecessarily suffering. And that's sort of what my mom told me, like, you don't need to suffer. You didn't do all this work to suffer. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not the point of this. You know, you're not just try it. And it's a hard thing to because it's not easy to find the right thing that works. And some of them make it worse. And I get why people just quit because I quit a whole bunch of times because I was like, this is too hard. And right. I did this boss of a bunch of people. And I remember they put me on one, one medication that made me so manic that I would throw up every time I ate. I would, I did it in front of people who worked for me. One yeah. of them still jokes with me because she get like, she knows what happened and, they, and I was transparent with them, but I can't even imagine what it was like to watch your boss, throw up a banana into the tattoo trash can because she's like so manic from this weird medication that they put her on and she's not sleeping. And, and I mean, you seem insane. Yep. It's, it's embarrassing. And I've apologized repeatedly, but that practice is so I had to get off that medication and even weaning off of it. Cause you can't just quite just quit taking it was really hard, but having sat through all that till I got to something that works, it's so much better on this side. Cause I still have feelings and I still have anxiety, but it's just not, it's not suffering like right.
1: it was. You have a solution today for that.
2: And I just straight up never think about killing myself, which I have for a long time. And people don't really like to talk about that either. And it's not, I've never even had a plan. It's just right. a voice in my head. That's like, you don't deserve to be here. They'd be better off without you. Mm. That I don't think is a real statement now. And when I lose people's suicide, I completely understand because I've had those those thoughts, but the truth is no one is ever better off
1: without you. That's right. You know, um, you know, you, you touched on a few things that I think needs to be touched on. Um, you said something very detrimental. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it cut out, Julie, but you said you, you can't go through your phone list without getting the Candace's name, without seeing people that are, not, that are no longer here. Um, you know, there's life after, you know, recovery is not a one size fits all, right? It's like whatever flavor you can, you can grab onto, whatever flavor works for you, do that, you know? And so, um, but you really spoke on, you know, not only the suicide rates, but maybe even overdose, I fully believe you can suffer while in recovery, just as much as while you're in, um, in use and, You know, you said something important too. Like once we let go of these things, or once we get into treatment, whatever that looks like, right? Because there's like again, there's different flavors of treatment. Uh, But once you get into that, uh, we have to find replacements for things and whatever that may be. It sounds like you found that through um, through your program and through uh, through other people and through service work. Um, What what helps you? If I can pivot a little bit, Julie, what helps you? And what you know, as far as what the role you play. I know you mentioned, uh, a shop. Um, <laughs> so as far as creativity, uh, what is it that you do, um, to like, that you're passionate about, um, in your time?
2: I, uh, so when I almost fifty one fifty myself, I did all the things at once. I changed my diet, which is a dangerous thing to do as someone with a community disorder, but I needed to eliminate, uh, you know, I'm so like one way or the other, it's like, I'll eat just junk food or it has to be hyper clean, you know? So I had to like figure out a way to eat that, um,
1: your talking, either Takis and Doritos are, um, you know, scraps. I lived for a
2: long time yeah. in recovery on like, uh, the Starbucks old fashioned donuts, which I feel like would just give me a diabetic heart attack. Yes. Now ate one. Right. But like, I had to eat a little bit better, like for nutritional wise. Um, I started a, meditating for the first time really ever and uh i did a a signed up and did um i found real real yoga and someone who's practiced yoga for a big chunk of my life i had always taken Mm -hmm. kind of westernized fitness yoga which is something you can really find in california but i had never taken it where it's like actually taught as a spiritual practice that it is and that was very fundamental to me um because it's like a moving meditation, and I'm an active person with very, you know, a man, I'm mostly manic. Like my bipolar manifests is like manic and slightly less manic, right? So, to be able, I, there's a certain amount of burning that off that I've always found helpful. And again, it's a balance between addictively exercising and not. But I went and um, I did a, a long bike ride this morning, and I feel like sometimes that just helps me slow my thoughts down burning that energy off so that I can um, focus better and and feel better. And I sometimes feel like the, the consciousness I'm trying to get to comes through when the, um, if you've ever been to Asia and seen how scooters operate, like in Thailand or Bali or anything, it's,
1: it's insane. Only in in movies, only in movies.
2: It's a karma culture, which is incredible. So that it's just, um, they're all going at the same time, but no, there's very rarely any accidents. And if there are, it's like tourists or something like, but the local, like, but that's how my thoughts feel a lot of the time, right? Like it's somehow functional, but it's just, it's constant. Whereas um, exercise and meditation, which are very similar to me, can kind of slow all that down so that I can actually like process stuff. And then it's creativity for that is I find like four or five miles into a hike. I start thinking of cool ideas and stuff I want to draw like it's burned all this like weird thought processes off into something that I can kind of streamline. And, and I get really cool ideas. I feel like from that, whether it's and sometimes it's business ideas or ways that I want to use one of my various hustles to, to be of service because I find that although taking money for service is always weird for me, there's still ways that I can um, feel good about what I do for work, right. Whether it's doing a fundraiser with what I do for work or, Um, I have another thing where I I use local artists and make products and so like, how can I make that for my community work better Um, or what have you? But sometimes I feel like I have to burn off a certain amount of just scooters to get to like a open lane.
1: I
0: don't know if that answered your question at all.
1: Of course it did.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, and when did you sort of tap into that creative side? Because you talked about uh, as a teenager going into college, you talked about like your involvement in sports. um, And yeah, like when did you, have you had that creative gene? Yeah,
2: I mean, I never felt like in high school or anything, or as a kid, I really had art art teachers have thought I was any good at art, you know, but, um, when I was in that eating disorder treatment center for like an entire year, they wouldn't release, I've been going to college for kinesiology, which they weren't going to let me pursue anymore. Cause I, to be a personal trainer as anorexic is just, um, I maybe could do it today. And I've considered trying to finish that degree so that I could use that in a positive way instead of, uh, what traditionally we look at fitness as, but that's kind of a whole other deal. Like how could I incorporate um, like sort of a life coaching aspect to personal training instead of just having killer abs or something, right. right? <laughs> but like a whole, like, I really love the, um, the hard 75 or whatever the thing is called where it's like, it's a whole bunch of journaling and, and like how to really jumpstart your life into something cool in 75 days. But anyway, I, when I was in that Store Treatment Center, they wouldn't release me until I, um, agreed to go back to college. I was again, pretty young. And so I wasn't allowed to work out when the girls would go work out from the treatment center. I had to just sit um, at twenty-four hour fitness.
0: Oh
2: no! <laughs> you actually had to sit them.
0: in the gym and just yeah, not in the gym and watch system. them
2: work out because I was um, my heart was so they were worried about my heart, my blood pressure, so I couldn't actually exercise. Anyway, there was a ad for uh, like a art school that was advertised on. The TV at 24 Hour Fitness, which is just as uh, bad and unaccredited of an art school as you can imagine that it turned out to be. But (laughs) I was like, I will go to that art school. And because I liked art therapy in that treatment center, you know, I mean, they,
1: yes, a lot
2: of bizarre groups, but art therapy, I really kind of dug. And I was like, I don't know, I guess maybe I can draw something. I had like two tattoos at the time and was kind of maybe thinking that maybe someday I could do that. And, uh, and I went to that unaccredited kind of strip mall art school and super excelled in it to the point where my teachers told me that I should transfer to a better school. Wow! Um, like my, dis- my work was in the, d- the front display case every single week. And, uh, and it gave me self-esteem in that department that I thought maybe I could do this. And I moved to Los Angeles and I moved in with some painters and, um, I never actually ended up going back to school but I just met some pretty heavy hitters in like the art world and they'd let me work with them and then uh, I found someone who was also in recovery who I stalked until he agreed to premise me. That's um, <laughs> he was like, oh don't know man, I'll show you a couple things. You can come by and I just showed up every day until We're so uh, He's like, okay, we need to have a talk, and I was like, okay, and I was certain he was going to like dump me or something, you know, and so I started crying right when I sat down. He was like, why are you crying? And I was like, because you're telling me to get out of here, and he's like, no, I'm telling you I'm going to apprentice you. And That's uh, right. Wow. But Persistent, to me, it was just like, the ashtrays and the coffee cups, like that woman had convinced me, like, if you really want a thing, show up for it, and, and you know, and That's it's it. the same with when people ask me about apprenticeships, I'm like, you'd have to my shop currently has one and we, um, she hassled us for close to three years and it's like, nice. all right, let's do this. You really want this because you either want it or you don't. And, uh, I think that it, just as hard as I went into tracking down substances from people, I, uh, I also don't want to lead a mediocre sober life either. So I go just as hard into the in spite of how insecure I feel about it, right? Like I didn't think I was going to be a good tattooer or a successful tattooer. I just, the next indicated step was to get that guy to teach me how to do it.
1: That's a important assistant story. I'm sorry.
0: I was just going to say, I mean, I think that's so cool. Uh, It's, you know, one of those butterfly effect things, like the fact that you went to treatment uh, as a young adult has like really led you to this, profession um and you know not only are have you discovered this creative side of you you're an entrepreneur you're successful um and just by showing up and going to that treatment center it really opened up a life of fulfillness where you can I don't know. Sometimes words don't come out of my mouth, right? But that's okay. Uh, but you can pursue your passion. Words
1: words are hard, man. Words are hard.
0: (laughs) Oh, like I'm trying to drink coffee right now, but, um, but no, I, I, I don't know. I've been, uh, trying to explore some creative sites. I've been tinkering around with jewelry and I don't know if it was like this for you, but sometimes on those hard days, those are the days that like I really get down on playing with art. It's like transferring all that energy of all that negative energy, that negative self-talk and like, I don't know, really creating something beautiful uh, for yourself or to share with somebody else. And I just, I love the whole concept of art therapy. I'm not as artistically talented as a lot of folks that I know, but I don't know. The well,
2: thing that's important to remember with that though, is that I didn't think I was very good at art because I hadn't done it enough. Right. Like, I don't think being a good artist is something that you're born with or you're not. I don't think being good at almost anything is something you're born with or not. Like, I have some ideas, I think, that maybe came naturally to me, but it's about mileage. Right. Right. want to feel comfortable in your skin and as a person in recovery, then there's a lot of sitting through being uncomfortable in your skin and experiencing that you're still okay at the other end of that. And over and over and over until you are like, all right, I've built up a history that the darkness still hasn't won out. It's probably not going to win out today. You know, I used to have this friend who was a painter and a very, very financially and, and otherwise successful. He was like, "It's mileage, man. It's nothing other than how much time you put into how madly you want this thing." Right? Like you can be a member of a gym, but if you don't ever go, then you're never going to get the thing. Right. Well,
0: how are recovery is that too. You know, it's like recovery can be so uncomfortable. I
2: I just follow direction. And if someone asks me to do something, I do it to the best of my ability. And I didn't know that people didn't do it like that. I didn't know that you didn't have to stalk someone to get an apprenticeship and just like, you give me an assignment. I'd show up with it 12 hours later. I don't know if it was very good, but I did it then. And now, you know, it's like yesterday when I was having that thing about, talking to my family and, and people in recovery, I know about my finances. Like I immediately took the action that I've been afraid to take. Cause that's all it is. Like I just have a couple of decades of taking action in spite of my feelings. I didn't think I would, I was so afraid of screwing up tattoos on people. I was so afraid of, of failing. I was afraid of what people would say about me, but I just showed up and did it anyway. And those things happened.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean we're human. I've been, on the, uh, I've
1: been on the receiving side of that uh receiving <laughs> side of that pen <laughs> of that ink. Like, hey man, I don't know they, they can't see out there in uh, radio land, but I you know I got Irish Pride of my army. he forgot to pee. Uh it was really late. It was like two AM. So it says Irish ride with an R. So, you know.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, are really a vehicle on there too. What,
2: what?
1: what are you gonna do? <laughs> you know? So Irish ride. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 oh, my God. Riding Irish. Right on. It's what you but get. That's... You know, it's
1: 2 a.m. It was one of those. Uh, it was in my use. And uh, you get what you pay for. I think Julie can attest to that. You know, uh, you can tell the difference between a uh, a $10 tattoo with a pack of cigarettes versus an actual real tattoo. We appreciate
2: the, those of you that let us <laughs> learn on it. Though. Yeah.
1: Let me be I your mean, canvas, I have, I man
2: and he said to me I was like man I just don't have any self esteem and I was complaining about that and he was like I wouldn't if I were you either man and I was <laughs> like
1: what oh goodness.
2: he walks out into the parking lot I follow him out there and just start yelling at him and he's like what do you do you think that's something you're born with like the color of your eyes
1: mm-hmm.
2: he's like so what you came from a broken addict, you know, addiction home so what you have all this stuff this story you tell over and over again He's like, what action do you take? Do? Mm. Because does your history prove that you're successful? Or is your history, you don't have any history of that. Right? Like, I'm not afraid to start new projects or start new businesses. I'm not afraid to fire people. I used to be definitely afraid of firing people. Um, it's because confusing. I've done it. And I've done it with the, you know, I have a woman that I fired and she cried so hard. She texts me every year for my birthday. And I'm like, all right, I did that right. Like she still, <laughs> she still takes right. me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, I, so I take, it's all about action in, in my mind. And then it's like, you build up a history, like, especially with anxiety or just writing out the feelings that made me want to use. And, and one of the questions you kind of sh- shot me in that, that pre-email was like, what does recovery look like for you? And I had a friend who sent me this meme that was like, recovery looks like building a life because people were asking him if he felt like he was missing out on something for not, for not having, uh, not being able to drink or whatever. And uh, recovery is building a life that you don't need to do any of those things to enjoy it. Recovery is building a life that you don't need an escape from it. And I think I I really liked that because it's like, am I still trying to, to every minute escape? I'll do it with food still, or I'll do it with online shopping. Like, am I just trying to escape? The dream that is my life my life is so beyond anything I could have possibly hoped for at 19 years old mm. like it is straight magic and I will still try to escape that mm. by buying stuff on the internet or <laughs> you know potato chips which I've never ever felt in control <laughs> <laughs> a bag of potato chips it's just like a bag of drugs I'm just working my way to the bottom man yes Good. <laughs>
1: The crumbs are the best part.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, just dumping it in my mouth. But and it's not <laughs> that the things are necessarily bad, you know. I think it's like there's some humor in, in accepting that I'm a human being, right? It's not all black or white, but the goal is to get to a place where I don't ever feel like I'm I can just be what the free I want to be so free that I can just sit in total silence with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not there's no scooter spinning out, there's no mean thoughts that my head is telling me about me no no thoughts are coming through that I don't deserve this
0: um or that I need to escape this right well it's hard though too you know as humans like we're constantly evolving so you know the person that you want to be today you might want to be a completely different person five years from now so you know it's almost like going through growing pains and I think recognizing Maybe sometimes it feels like we want to escape, but also sometimes it's just like, oh, it's time to level up now. And like, what's the transition that we want to make in our lives to be, you know, the next version, the next best version of ourselves that we can be. Um, But, you know, just hearing your story, especially starting at such a young age, like it just seems like you you have that you have that um, awareness. And then the action, and that's so hard for so many of us is taking that action, taking those steps, um, even when we know, and we know what we need to do, or we have an idea of like what is out there that we can do, but showing up, you know, that's so challenging. And it's just really inspirational to hear from you because you sound like such a, a self-motivator um, and being able to kind of just, yeah, sort of sit in that discomfort for a little bit you know, maybe, maybe do the escape thing for a minute, but then just getting to the point where you're like, you know what, cut the bullshit. <laughs> it's time to like level up. Uh, so yeah, it's just, I love that. It's inspiring. Uh, I love everything that you've shared about your story. Um, I really would love to maybe come visit you. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Jesse can come visit you and get that P added.
1: Need some tattoos <laughs> done. I'm trying to get my neck done before I go to Texas trying to uh i got the i-80 here i'm from i live in la for an echo park for a long time we were talking before julie about uh, echo Thank park not- and we both frequented the same areas um but yeah you know i, I got some work done down there for my guy um, shout out to shout out to sal um uh, american or non-american uh oh classical tattoo in echo park shout out to that guy but uh yeah definitely some pieces for my neck i'm not sure where i'm gonna go maybe a california theme I was thinking maybe some palm trees or, uh, you know, something, something that's worth because the next shot, if you, if you're a tattoo person and I come at you and I say, I need a neck piece. I'll tell you what, you better know what you're doing. Cause I had a bad experience. This is actually a cover up, And I had to walk out halfway through the piece. I said, Hey, you know, no disrespect, but I can't have you continue to go. Um, you know, I'm sure you've been not you or know someone's been in that situation. It could be a little unruly.
2: I've never had anyone walk out on me. Maybe they should have in the very beginning, but that's.
1: uh... (laughs) And I love real quick. I love her story too. And I'll I'll hand it back to Candace. I think she's got a couple more questions. I love her story too. Um, you know, whatever you want to call it and whatever your flavor is again, that's my favorite word, by the way, flavor. (laughs) I said it about 10 times already. Um, whether you're a God guy or a universe person or girl or, um, whatever it may be. Right. Um, you know, I love how you went to recovery uh, while you're in recovery different, uh, I'm sorry, different program, while you were, had some time and you said, even some of the people working there, you have more time than them. And I can totally relate to that, I did the same thing, but how it was just all worked out the way it was supposed to. It's like, when we make that step into our recovery, whatever that looks like, um, whether it's God or the universe or just the, the stars aligning, um when we put forth effort it seems like the universe gives us some effort back and it's like you had a mishap with the heart condition and you know i look at it and it's like if you never had the heart condition and they never made you sit at the gym and watch tv you <laughs> never would have watched that you never would have saw that commercial you never would have applied you never would have got to that school and that teacher said you're too good for this go apply somewhere else and you never would have had this these these things aligned so i'm just i'm just hearing you. And I'm just like, you know, wow, it's just amazing. Uh, thank God. Not no, don't thank God. I'm not saying thank God for your heart condition. Don't, don't get what I'm saying wrong. But, you know, it's just it's just a beautiful story how things connected for you and how it just worked out off of a, a 24-hour fitness commercial and how you are where you're at now. I think it's just pretty really <laughs> amazing.
2: Well, and I think that sometimes the thing where I get down to myself is how can I look at that history and not think it's all gonna work out? Mm. Like, how could I possibly think that this is the day? And there was some meditation. I can't remember. It's some old, old white dude that had a rad meditation on YouTube. I was listening to but about the darkness, not winning out. And I'm sure you could Google it. i one of my favorite ones I ever listened to. But I think about that. I'm like, is today the day the darkness is going to win out? Because it never has. No matter how dark this thing seemed to be. So amazing. It always worked out as long as I, you know, like continue to show up. And that can be incredibly imperfectly.
1: And sometimes you know, I think showing it's up people, is hard. It's hard sometimes. Sometimes it takes courage to show up.
2: Sometimes it's showing up in just like a really dirty pair of sweatpants and it's not about like I'm just desperate, you know, and, and, and letting go of like what people might think about me showing up in this state. And, and that asking for help, like, I'm still the person at Target when they're like, I mean, can I help you, ma'am? And I'm like, no, nah, I got this. And I don't got this. Like, I'm going to be wandering around Target the entire time trying to find that thing. And it's like still that hard for me to be like, yes, I am trying to find shower gel. Can you direct me <laughs> to that? But some part of my ego is like, no, nah, man, I, I'll figure it out. I'm good. Like, your whole job here is to tell me where that is. But I got this, you know, And I, and I laugh when I do that because it's like, that self-will versus the universe will, right? Like I just, I love control is a hell of a drug. I like it a lot.
0: Ooh. and uh, That's a tough <laughs> one. Hopefully yoga is teaching a little bit of let go. <laughs> you
1: know, you use that one-liner. I'm taking that. Control, a,
0: man. Self-esteem
2: is an action. You know, esteem mm. will mm. act. Um, mm. You know, the other thing I always tell people when they're asking for help too is like, self-esteem for me was like um, returning my shopping cart to the place that it gets returned at. Like that's a huge one for me. Like I I'm in a fancier part of Colorado right now. And I was just amazed at the part, like these high-end cars that just can't like, you just really can't be bothered to take your shopping cart back to like where the shopping cart, the
1: ultimate tester. If you're a decent person, I feel like, I feel like if you take your (laughs) shopping cart back to the space, uh you you've done a good job. So shout shout out to all those people who walk back to the cart rack and put their cart in, by the way. I think it's uh it's a real test of where uh, of where you're at in life.
2: <laughs> totally, but someone had to tell me to do that because I wasn't, right. like, oh wait, what? I'll never forget I was sitting with this woman that I'd asked for help and I it was at a, a club house that had meetings and I threw a coffee cup at this trash can of mist and continued to tell her my sob story and she was working at that place and she goes. Like that was her shift at the coffee bar there. And she goes, who do you think is going to pick that up? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I'm the only one working here, man. You're seriously going to waste my time and then leave this coffee trash on the floor. Like, so I'm really, I really think about that when I throw trash away. Like, did my trash make it all the way in there? Do I wash dishes at other people's houses when they cook me dinner? Do I at least try to do that? Even if they say repeat, like there's certain, do I make my bed every morning? Even if no one's ever going to see it. Because odds are, if I start my day by doing that, I'm going to make better choices throughout the day. And that's the thing about yoga that I think is so transformative. It's not that yoga in that hour or 90 minutes is going to transform my life. I'm just maybe going to make better decisions as a result of taking that time for my my mental and physical health. I might not eat a bag of Ruffles, cheddar and sour cream chips for (laughs) You know, I might make a better choice for my actual, like, um, mm-hmm. nutritional needs. I might be kinder to people I interact with as a result of doing that thing. And uh, right. I think all of that relates to recovery because someone had to help me through that because I didn't know how to do anything. I was, you know, and when you talk about growing up, I grew up in recovery. Mm-hmm. People blame all kinds of stuff they do in their 20s on drinking. And I don't know if a lot of it even has anything to do with drinking. It's just like, that's an awkward time period. Right. And not being to blame it on anything is... Oh, it was hard and it continues to be like, I have no excuse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Other than
0: my humanity. Just being a human, we're all trying to figure it out. I mean, we've like fabricated this whole world <laughs> of like what other, what everybody thinks is supposed to be going on. And yeah, it's kind right. of hard to us to the whole, the whole scheme of it all, but uh, you know, we're all in it together. We're trying. Um, and yeah. I, I gotta say we're, we're kind of like running out of time a little bit. Um, this has been such a great discussion, uh, but I think we got to kind of wrap it up and yeah, you, I usually ask everybody at the end what recovery means to you, but you've already sort of answered that for us so beautifully. Um, and yeah, it's just been, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. So thank you for making time to talk with us and, and for sharing your story um, you know, how you kind of got here and what's working for you, it means a lot. And, you know, our listeners, hopefully we'll get some good insight out of
1: this. Yeah. Okay. So real quick, uh, Julie, um, before we close, we talked earlier a little bit um, uh, before we started uh, recording this episode and we asked you if you can just anybody you wanted to shout out or anything you wanted to get out there for people who are listening, um, maybe in their area, we always want to provide resources and, and an opportunity to plug people, places or things. So before we close, um, you could tell us and those listening or are watching, um, well, not watching, not yet, but we're going to tap on tap on wood. We'll have that soon. Um, any specific agencies or platforms in the community you want to shout out or, uh, make segue into?
2: Yeah, I'd like to plug the Way Out Foundation that helps people um, find treatment for whatever they're seeking recovery for, and also help scholarship people for treatment for whatever they're seeking recovery for.
1: Scholarship people, would you want to elaborate?
2: I don't entirely know the details of that, but I do know that they provide an enormous amount of resources for people that are just all over the country that are looking for. great recovery and maybe don't know where to start in that search
1: the way out and where is that one more time
2: it's located in colorado
1: wonderful the way out in colorado i love what you said it's for all forms is that what you said not just one specific thing well awesome check out the way out guys in colorado and all those around radio land uh, once again, I want to thank you so much for being here. Julie, thank you so much. You shot that. That was awesome. I love hearing your uh, experience, strength, and hope. Uh, anytime I get to just hear someone's story, it gets me excited. I love recovery. I love seeing what recovery does in people's lives. and I just love the domino effect it has on people in our and our, uh, our cast, if you will. If our life's a movie, we have a bunch of casts around us and extras, and we just kind of touch everybody that comes along us, so uh, I think I speak for me and, and Candace and Young People in Recovery. Thank you so much, Julie, uh, for sharing with us today. Um, I am your host, Jesse Hainer.
0: And I am Candace Rose. Um, you know, new episodes are available to stream every other Wednesday as early as 5 a.m. Eastern Time, so be sure to join us next time. As always here at YPR, we do recover and we are in your corner. Thanks for listening.